You have been groomed and they are just getting started. Grooming. We've been groomed. We are being groomed as a society and as a church, and we shall be groomed some more, it seems. And what is grooming? Stay tuned and learn how the media, social media, tech companies, and others partner with the critical race theory movement and even government to groom and manipulate you and I and how much they've already succeeded. I know it's something of a grand conspiracy, and I don't like grand conspiracy theories, but this is one for the books. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Out of My Mind podcast. This is podcast 031, podcast number 31, where we have a biblical conversation about the issues facing our crazy world. And if you've not joined us before, we devote about 20 minutes or so to a complex topic facing our culture, the church, and you, and we interpret it through the lens of Scripture so that we can make sense of it all. At the end, we'll give you additional resources just in case you'd like to dig a little bit deeper. You'll find them on our podcast resource page. So let's get started. All right. So we're starting with a topic that, uh, that we did talk about last year, and I believe the title to that podcast was uh, You're Being Groomed, and so now the title for today is You've Been Groomed. That's right, Mark. That was podcast 009. It seems long ago, podcast 9. But you're right. Now we're saying you've been groomed in the past tense. All right. So why a second podcast and why now? Well, we're 22 weeks down the road. That's almost six months. And a lot has happened. And too many Christians have succumbed to the grooming, hence the title. Too many Christians have bought in. All right. So we might have uh, picked up a listener or two along the way in these past six months. And so maybe let's start with what is this grooming? What do you mean by you're being groomed? Well, you'll get a very detailed explanation in Podcast 9, but grooming is something uh, like a sexual predator or some other kind of predator when he sets the stage for abusing another person, such as a child or sometimes hucksters do that, and con artists do that with senior citizens. They take advantage of the elderly. Initially, there's sort of a courtship of some kind wherein the predator builds trust, like during this pandemic, the way we have been groomed a little bit. The government has built trust. And so seemingly the predator is there as a friend, and what is done is supposedly for the intended victim's good. The aim, again, is to gain the trust of the victim, and then comes sort of a process of alienation where they are cut off from all things familiar, relationships, environments, family, kind of like sheltering in place and not seeing family or friends at Christmas or Thanksgiving. Then the predator, setting the stage for the intended victim, alienates them from their support groups, their caregivers, circles of friends, family, and community. And we drew this parallel with the abuse of the shelter in place, where places like New York City and our own Santa Clara County had the most draconian requirements. You see, a predator may cut them off from those closest to them and then keep them distracted or preoccupied by other things. They may slander people close to them. They may misrepresent them as a danger to the victim, either emotionally, financially, or in our case, a biological threat of some kind. And that in turn creates an us versus them kind of culture or mindset. And it sets up the next stage, which is fear and dependence. Fear of the unknown, fear of parents, fear of siblings, associates, colleagues as some sort of 
biological threat during the pandemic and dependence upon someone or something else like the politician Dr. Fauci and his endless shifting of the goalpost with mask, no mask, two masks, small threat, great threat. And this predator sets up a power dynamic in which the victim feels too afraid to go against the wishes or demands of the predator. And the victim needs the predator, or at least thinks she does. And that's where social media and the so-called news media come into play, or the government, or government aid and checks, or authority over the individual. The manipulation and abuse becomes a new normal. They're depending on other people they're not used to depending on. And they're sheltering in place in our case. And there's this constant shifting of sands, of strictures, of goalposts, of masks, data manipulation. And those who are once closest to the victim are now far off through this process of alienation. Now, this abusive process continues, uh, and it has, in our case, I believe, been successfully accomplished by cultural and media forces leveraging the pandemic. The initial tool, again, was weaponizing those around us as biological threats and cutting us off. And, you know, you even see our government officials, they really don't take it seriously themselves. They create a standard for us, but they have standards for themselves that are different, like Gavin Newsom going to the French law laundry, or his literal aunt, uh, Nancy Pelosi, going getting her hair done, our own mayor, Sam Licardo, having a big uh, Thanksgiving function in his backyard. And just last week, former Secretary of State and now Energy Envoy to the President, John Kerry, is seen increasing his carbon footprint by flying around, and sometimes on private planes, and also doing so without a mask. And so, this is where the media comes into play. They are a propaganda tool. These officials really don't take the strictures seriously. They just impose them on us. And then you have willing accomplices like the celebrity uh, journalist Chris Cuomo documenting his own quarantine after he's contracted the coronavirus. And we have his journal on CNN. But the sad fact was he was just a propaganda hack. He uh, actually was out and about when he was supposed to be quarantining. He was out with his family. It was all a manipulation. And then even after all this, he's been caught after his so-called recovery without wearing a mask at private clubs and other events in and around New York. And yet you have people, people like us, conditioned to wear masks. You even see people driving in their car with the windows up with their mask on, or jogging down the street or playing tennis with a mask on, or out in the fresh air walking their dogs or going to the beach and wearing masks. You have teachers who aren't thinking rightly. They're refusing to return to the classroom. And yet in San Diego, they're making plans to teach illegal aliens in person who've come across the border illegally and been separated from their parents. You have once normal people shouting insults at their neighbors or others because they see them out for an outdoor walk without a mask on and they yell at them. These are the symptoms of the grooming process that have conditioned a populace to give up its freedom. And people are doing so willingly and uncritically and obediently. And even in California, until recently, our freedom of worship was curtailed until somebody thankfully took it to the Supreme Court at least twice, and now we're able to worship again. But yet you had pastors uh, rolling over and playing dead at the expense of their congregations, and their churches weren't meeting, and they weren't shepherding their flocks. Their flocks were neglected. And these same compliant pastors were criticizing other pastors who refused to neglect their own flocks, the us versus them, the weaponization, the, the grooming. These people have been groomed, and I guess we've all been groomed to some extent, And but there's no small coincidence that all of this has a, a number of uh, accomplices from social media to corporate media 
to the government, to critical theorists who are using this time for an additional onslaught to impress upon us this whole critical race theory thing. I mean, you had riots that were called peaceful protest and this Orwellian language. And so it's just been a time of causing us to disassociate ourselves from every logical bone that would have been in our body. All right. So what is it that you're seeing that you think that we should be aware of and and why um, tackle this topic now as opposed to maybe like a few months from now or a year down the road? Well, I think we're getting ready to see another huge shift. We're entering into a time of sifting in the church, that's for sure, and in the culture. But there's right now, as I alluded to a moment ago about critical race theory, a concerted effort to reopen old wounds between blacks and whites. But there's also a new effort to open a rift between Asians and whites primarily and targeting Christians. And this comes back to the so-called intersectional hierarchy. They're now trying to create another conflict between the races. And the catalyst for this is two unrelated shootings in Atlanta, Georgia, and Boulder, Colorado, both initially and conveniently attributed to white supremacist or white Christian men driven by rage, religion, and race. And that's where the media has been complicit and social media, particularly Twitter. But facts are stubborn things. And the Atlanta Police Department and the FBI both have said that this is not this Atlanta shooting, that there's no evidence to support a racial motive, and yet the Washington Post says that the shooting suspect's claim of sex addiction, while not outwardly a racial motive, still has racial undertones according to experts. Of course, they don't say who these experts are. And the article just goes on to say that the gunman's intent seemed crystal clear to Asians living in the Atlanta area. That's their lived experience. This gets back to the idea if you feel targeted, then you were targeted. And what we see here is a properly groomed and manipulated populace ready to jump on board. You know, speaking of churches, as I did a moment ago, I watched one church in the Madison, Wisconsin area, this multi-site church, uncritically accept that narrative and just do this whole thing where this Asian man got up and bore witness to how he felt like because of this man's religion, he didn't feel safe. This man was supposed to be a Christian. Now, he wasn't. He was a sexual deviant, and uh, he had all kinds of problems, and just because he claimed to be a Christian didn't make him one. But both the Atlanta and Boulder shootings were initially attributed alternatively to Christians and white racists with the inference that Christianity had something to do with the problem. And the sad irony is, is that in neither case the motive was racial, but the media presses the issue despite the facts, and this is part of the grooming. I remember reading about a white Christian shooter in Boulder, and then it comes out that the man is a Muslim, and he's Syrian. But Twitter kept on calling him a white Christian racist. In fact, Newsweek magazine did an article where it says that Twitter calling the uh, Boulder shooter a white Christian racist terrorist was okay because the Twitter sphere would not correct itself and the Twitter corporation or the organization refused to step in. So what we have here is this grooming, this manipulation, playing one group against another in this intersectional survival of the fittest. Going back to the animus against Asians, I take this seriously because I have a son-in-law and two grandnephews who are Asian, and I also pastor an Asian church. But the reality is uh, there have been attacks on Asians that weren't necessarily from white people. Yeah, and I, I think you see that even in those, uh, there's a recent attack, I think it was this past weekend. Oh, in New York City. Yes, in New York City, um, where the uh, the Asian lady um, was trying to go to church or, or something, and uh, she was just 
attacked by an African-American guy. Yeah, well, and this, this is the really painful and really uncomfortable aspect of this. You know, there's a dirty little secret that doesn't fit the narrative, and that is, I don't know if there's an animus so much against Asians from the Caucasian community, but historically, there has been between the black community. I remember years ago, the rapper, and as much as I don't like rap music, Ice Cube, uh, made a song or recorded a song called Black Korea, where he said awful things about Asians. And I remember in the 90s in, in Brooklyn, there was this terrible boycott and strike against Asian businesses led by, of all people, Al Sharpton. And the mayor of New York City, David Dinkins, had to intervene to try to take, get the heat off of the Asian community. And even recently, uh, the left-leaning elite academic institutions like Harvard have discriminated against Asians by using certain subjective criteria to exclude more Asians because of things like character or uh, social activity to uh, penalize them and to bring in other minorities uh, over them. There's a great article in Forbes magazine about the case against Harvard. Harvard won the case, but basically on the slimmest of technicalities. So how does all this tie into the grooming? You have the media giving us stories. You have things from the government. Um, and so how do all these things tie in? And and what are some of the connections that you see? Well, you know, there's this great movie, Mark. I think it was on Netflix called The Social Dilemma, and it, where former tech executives document the flagrant grooming and manipulative activities of the tech giants and woke capitalists to exploit their users. You see uh, social media giants keeping their users outraged with manipulative uh, algorithms. Recently, the CEOs of Facebook and Twitter and Google uh, went before Congress. There was a hearing about the harmful content and moderation of their platforms. And watching these hearings, you see how these people people ignore the root problem for personal gain. But Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, owned by Google, all of them use algorithms to groom and keep their users addicted to their screens. And so the social media giants even boost and amplify extreme content designed to enrage and polarize their users because that drives higher engagement and creates more ad revenue. And I don't want to sound like a conspiracy nut, but what we have here is a conspiracy of sorts where all of these groups, education, social media, legacy media, the government, and critical theorists, critical race theories, are really forcing an agenda on a populace, leveraging terrible events like shootings in Atlanta and Boulder and other types of things to keep this before us, to keep us divided. You know, you hear about George Floyd, but you don't hear about Muhammad Anwar. He was a 66-year-old Uber Eats driver killed by two African-American women intent on carjacking them. They've been arrested many, many times. Why didn't you hear about it? It doesn't fit the narrative. And speaking of George Floyd, before there was George Floyd, there was Tony Timba. Tony Timba, that's an interesting name. Uh, and yeah, I've never heard of Tony Timba. Well, he was handcuffed and restrained by law enforcement for 15 minutes as he begged for his life, and as he said, I can't breathe, and he died. George Floyd suffered nine minutes. Tony Timba suffered for 15 minutes. So then what are you saying? Why, why would we not hear about Tony Timba? Because Tony Timba was a Caucasian. He doesn't fit the critical race theory narrative being peddled by the media or neo-racist organizations like Black Lives Matter. All right, so two questions. So how does this tie into the pandemic and the grooming and those things? 
And the second one is, is basically, I just want to kind of clarify, are you saying that we don't have opportunities still to improve race relations? So let me take the second question first. I'm sure not all of our listeners realize that prior to coming to Hillside, I ministered at a racially diverse urban church where there was no ethnic majority. We were about 16 to 18% white, somewhere around 36 to 38% African-American, and about 46% Latino. And what you had there were loving Christians united around the Word of God, united around Christ, showing grace to each other, and worshiping together every Sunday. I also pastored an Asian church. And in both of these places, I can tell you that I was acutely aware of racial differences and of the need to show grace, and we showed each other grace because we were all Christians. But we do live in a fallen world where our differences can serve as barriers to harmony and may aggravate tensions or differences between us. But our goal should not be to divide, but to unite around the common ground of Jesus Christ, which is the opposite of what our culture, media, educators, and government are doing. They are exacerbating the differences. We can always improve race relations. We live in a fallen world, and we change this world one soul at a time with the message of Jesus Christ. And so I'm very sensitive to the racial relation issue, but I don't, I don't use it as an excuse to divide against my brother or sister in Christ or my fellow man. Now to the first question. This pandemic has been a handy tool for advancing the divisive agenda of critical race theory, and we are being experimented with like laboratory rats. We are being abused and exploited and manipulated so that we will go along and be taken down whatever rabbit hole they choose. And what I'm saying is we need to put our foot down and say it stops here. We need to stop, snap out of this. As isolated as we are, we can be susceptible to manipulation and this must be resisted. This has to stop. And we are constantly as believers and citizens becoming disenfranchised. We are bombarded by misinformation, and we need to turn a corner. Yeah, I would fully agree. I think um, all of us will probably say that we have just been uh, what feels like bombarded from all corners, from all places. The information is nonstop. Uh, the What we're supposed to do, what we can do, what we can't do, what we're not supposed to do, all of those things has just been pretty much nonstop, uh, especially since this pandemic. And so my question to you is, so what are we supposed to do with that? You know, you've mentioned before, uh, we're kind of like a, a frog that's been boiled slowly in that kettle of water. And I think that uh, we're really close to that point of, of actually boiling. The water has slowly heated up. And so so what are we to do with this? Where Where can we go from here? Well, you know, uh, we've, we're a long way down the road, and it's a long way back. And if it were solely up to us, I'd say that ship has sailed and the proverbial horse is long gone from the barn. But the fact is, Mark, we serve a supernatural God, and he is actively engaged in the affairs of this world. And we have to remember who we are and what he has called us to do. We are here now for such a time as this, and we need to remain aware and remind ourselves the, the word of God indicates that he will prevail ultimately. All we have to do is be faithful instruments in the Redeemer's hands. So I think there's a, a four-step process, not to oversimplify it, that gets us back on the right road. And let me just walk through that quickly with the little bit of time we have left. What do we do? Where do we start? 
Let him be God. We abide in Christ. We obey his word, and we trust him to do the heavy lifting. And the first thing that we do in obeying his word is to return to church, to return to normal inch by inch, even if that means going against the culture and breaking the law. And where do we start? Start this Easter. Come to church and worship in person. You cannot worry about what might happen. You cannot add an inch to your height or a year to your life, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. God watches over you like he does the sparrows, the very head on your head, the very hairs on your head are numbered. So stop hiding you and your children away, you and your family away, and go back to church. That's the first step. Yeah, I, I think those are that's a really great place for us to start. Um, and you said that there was a four steps to this process. So uh, you want to talk about some of those other ones? Absolutely. You know, step two may be be listen to podcast eight, which we entitled Leave Your Church. If your church is woke or if your church has punted during this pandemic, like that church in Wisconsin, it may be time to leave that church and find another church. The other thing you would do is listen to podcast number nine, the original You're Being Groomed, because it will give you a, a more full understanding of what is involved in this process that we're in. And then I think you need to read the Bible. Start reading the Bible. First uh, John 4, 1 through 6 tells us to test the spirits. The book of Acts talks about the Bereans, and it says the noble Bereans checked the scriptures to see if these things were true. See if your impulses line up with the scriptures. See if what I'm saying lines up with the scripture. And step four is to stop poisoning your brain. Stop being complicit in your manipulation, in your grooming. For me, I'm getting off of social media. I'm going to be getting off of Facebook soon. Um, I'm going to take a break from the, the media at large to kind of let my brain recharge you might want to do that too, because we've been groomed. And even if we've resisted it, it's had its effects. All right, Keith. So just to sum up, it sounds like step one is to get back to church and and be obedient to God and to what God has commanded us to do. And step two is to educate ourselves, to not just uh, try to live under a rock. Step three, uh, the very important step of, of returning to our Bibles, opening our Bibles, reading the scriptures, understanding what God is saying to us. And, and finally, uh, that last step, po- stop poisoning your brain. I think that was very a, a very strong point and a point that we all need to grasp now because um, we can get flooded with information and uh, it's so hard to discern all of that stuff. And so, so just stop letting all of these influences, uh, outside influences, come into your life. That's it, Mark. You, you nailed it on that summary. Thank you. Well, that's, I think, it for today, Mark. Uh, everyone, thanks for listening. If your church isn't meeting in person this Easter, come to Hillside Church this Easter. We have services at 5 and 7 on Good Friday. We have them at 8 a.m., 9.45 a.m., and 11.30 a.m. outdoors on Easter Sunday. We meet in person, but we do social distance, and we do wear masks, except outdoors. We also have a number of in-person religious gatherings during the week, Bible studies for all ages and activities. You can rejoin humanity by rejoining the worship of God. And whatever your platform is today, like us, give us a good rating, share us with your friends, visit our resource page for more information. God bless you, and God keep you, and don't forget to celebrate the resurrection of Christ this Easter.